As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, listeners. Sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favor to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. The ref even said to, to H, I heard him say, if, if I say it's a pen, then it's going to cause a lot of a lot of talk about it after. So, you know, I don't know what happened there. If you're the coach of a strong team, you have difficult decisions. This was a very difficult decision, uh, leaving um, Billy Gilmore and Tino Anjorin and, and uh, Tammy at home. It's not personal. It's straight out of Cobham, the weekly Chelsea FC-focused podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, reacting to the draw with Manchester United, it won't take long. Also, Chelsea put one foot in the Champions League quarterfinals. We'll look ahead to a double Merseyside matchup, answer your questions and more. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. Hello, listener. Thanks for joining us, whether you're a first-timer or a long-timer. We're pleased to have your company. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the three men who know more about Chelsea than most. Simon Johnson's with us. Hi, Simon. Hello. So too, Dominic Fifield. Hello. And it's a welcome return to Liam Toomey. Woof. <laughs> Hope all's well in doggy world. Uh, right then, we're recording the morning after Chelsea's drab goalless draw against Manchester United. That's our first port of call today. Chelsea nil, Manchester United nil. Every bit as exhilarating as that sounds. Callum Hudson-Odoi probably should have had a penalty awarded against him. Then he hurt his leg. Match report ends. Uh, luckily, dear listener, you and your kin have submitted some questions via the medium of Twitter to give us something to discuss. Before that, though, the penalty that wasn't and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's criticism of, and this is a real thing, the match preview on the Chelsea website. Um, Simon, what did you make of those two things? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm still laughing at uh, the Chelsea website being that, you know, sort of influential on such a big game. I, I think they should be doing more pieces like this um, every single week, 
and maybe Chelsea, that's the secret to getting into the top four. I just find it a bit rich that Manchester United, who've had more penalties than most over the last 18 months, are complaining about decision. Yes, it could potentially have been a penalty. It was weird, though, because Mason Greenwood didn't even appeal. Uh, neither did any of the Manchester United players. Uh, I just think that... Uh, I always thought that it was only cup competitions you could win on penalties, but Manchester United clearly think that uh, they can win the Premier League on penalties, too. <laughs> Um, Tom, there's a, a wider point here about the standard of refereeing in the Premier League. A lot of criticism of Stuart Atwell afterwards and his supposed comments to Luke Shaw and others. I almost feel like it undermines how VAR is working a bit if the on-the-field referee doesn't have much control over things, which is, is something I often think when Stuart Atwell's refereeing a game. Yeah, although the irony being that Stuart Atwell actually decided that his decision was right and that the VAR's advice was wrong in, on this occasion. I think he, he, he railed back slightly on the, uh, was it United anyway, railed back on the suggestions of what Luke Shaw and Oli Gunnar Saucier appear to have heard Atwell say to Harry Maguire. Um, but it says everything really that the original assertion from Shaw seemed plausible I suspect that uh, referees probably do feel undermined to a certain extent by the fact that they're a fellow referee can tell them that they're wrong on the pitch. I also think there's an element of a bit like the third umpire in cricket where some referees will feel they have a safety net now and that VAR provides that and therefore they don't have to make a bold decision necessarily out on the pitch and that VAR will bail them out if they do drop a clanger. And that's a dangerous situation to be in as well. But it's all part of the adjustment to a very different system, I guess, and, and something that we're just going to have to put up with. It has been a bad weekend for referees. And, and I've never seen a referee lose the plot like Lee Mason did in the in the Brighton-West Brom game. I mean, the, the look of horror on his face as he, as he realised he'd completely lost all sense of control. I actually ended up feeling quite sorry for him because he just looked lost. And he would have been the fourth official on Sunday as well in a in a game and then pulled out with that calf injury. It's a convenient calf injury. Yeah, it's just what it is, unfortunately. It's, it is a mess, but uh, it's a period of an adjustment. Um, I, I think that Callum Hudson-Odoi was very lucky. I don't think it matters that Mason Greenwood didn't appeal for it or United's players didn't appeal for it. His arm was in, a, in an unnatural position as he jumped. Um, everybody on that pitch thought that Mason Greenwood's arm made contact with it, but the reality was that, as a video showed, that it was it was Callum Hudson Odoi's, but but great, fantastic, got away with one. <laughs> um, Liam, if we look at the Chelsea perspective on the game, you were at the bridge for the Athletic. Your post-match piece was looking at the positives provided by Kante and Kovacic, negating the opposition. Certainly worked on Bruno Fernandez, who, who barely had a sniff. Yeah, so I, th- I think where we are with the the Tuchel project is that most of the things they do well are the least sexy things that a football team can do well. And that's why I think this team is struggling to resonate with a section of the fan base. And to the extent that it's probably just as well that Stanford Bridge is empty right now, um, because I don't think a lot of these performances would be getting rave reviews from inside the stadium. But Chelsea are doing a lot of things right that they weren't doing particularly, you know, sort of December, January. They're, they're pressing really, really well. And... One thing that struck me during that game on Sunday was just how, I mean, it's, it's not the first time this has struck me, but it really sort of brought the point back to me. It's just that pressing is the most important aspect of modern football. And you could see 
from early on that Manchester United would much rather press than pass and they actually wanted Chelsea to have the ball and their entire game plan was forcing a mistake from one of Chelsea's back four or five. And I think in the past couple of years, and this is not an indictment of Lampard because I think it's happened under several coaches, they may well have got that mistake because I think Chelsea always had that in them when they were trying to play out from the back. It happened under Sarri as well. But they were really, really good at it um, against United. I think when they when they did misplace passes, they were out of play. They weren't to dangerous areas. They were very smart and they played around United's press a lot and really tired United out to the point where I think I think United had to had to drop back in the second half because they they'd run their race and you could see Bruno Fernandez was really really frustrated with the amount of times he was just bypassed primarily by Kanté and Kovacic and as I said in the, in the piece before Tuchel brought that combination back against Southampton we hadn't seen it since that awful first half against West Brom where Chelsea were 3-0 down at half-time and, and Kovacic was subbed along with Alonso. And it's always seemed like a combination that looks really good in theory, but has never quite worked in practice. But it did work, I thought, against United. I thought Kante was probably Chelsea's best player, um, just doing all the things that Kante does best, mopping up counter-attacks. The, the one near the end where he knocked the ball away from, from Martial was potentially a, a draw-saving intervention. He used the ball really well as well, and and Kovacic was was Chelsea's primary passer and 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 really set the stage for their possession control. It's still not resulting in chances uh, on a consistent basis, and it's not resulting in a cascade of goals. And so I can understand why fans are, are going to be frustrated, and I think there's frustration at Chelsea as well about that. But they are doing a lot of things right in terms of the foundation, and Kanté and Kovacic were a big part of that. So that you started, um, as ever, a, a Tommy Tuchel team sheet, notable for the players not included as much as those who were. We'll get to some Twitter questions. Here's at Don Karatasi asking, Tuchel says he can only select 18 out of 21 players for his match day squad. Why is he wasting one of them for two left-backs? Surely you can leave one of two left-backs out and include Tammy Abraham or Billy Gilmore. Um, Simon, they were the, the real notable absentees, I suppose. Um, from from the team sheet, not looking good for Tammy in particular at the moment, as we've touched on in recent weeks. Yeah, and I, and I touched on it again in the uh, in a piece right about Olivier Giroud after his heroics against Atletico Madrid, that uh, perhaps Giroud's the certainty of Giroud leaving uh, in the summer when his contract expires is is isn't a certainty, and one of the reasons why I flagged that is because of Tammy Abraham. And his situation, it's, it's too early to say that it's it's all over for him under Tuchel, but it is pretty alarming that he's been, he started, I think he's only made sort of five appearances in two of those. He's been pulled off at half-time. And there was talk that it was an ankle problem. Firstly, why he was taken off at Southampton, well, that wasn't true because Tuchel said afterwards that it was it was nothing to do with an injury. There was talk ahead of the game when he was left out of the squad that it was due to the ankle injury again. Tuchel made it clear afterwards that that wasn't the case, that it was his decision. That's got to be very alarming. He went on to explain that um, he saw Werner and Havertz as the, as the backup options as a striker on the bench. Now, if you're, if you're Tammy Abraham, you must be sitting there thinking, well, hang on a minute. I don't even make the squad now. It's 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 pretty pretty worrying for him. But 
he's got to turn it around. His performance at Southampton was poor. Whether he was affected a little bit by the ankle knot that he'd suffered against Newcastle a few days before, as I said, Tuchel said he, that wasn't the case, but he does seem to be uh, facing uphill battle early on to win Tuchel over. Uh, as for Gilmore, that's not such a surprise because he's not been involved very much at all, apart from the cup game. I think Tuchel's only kept him around, prevented him from going alone in case there's an injury to, to one of Kovacic, Jorginho and, and Conte. Um, and as for Emerson being on the bench, I think you have to remember that against uh, Barnes, I think it was, he played as a left-sided centre-back. So perhaps that's one of the other reasons why he's on the bench, that he's covering two positions, not just one. And while we're talking defence, Dom, we had several questions for people asking whether it was time for Chelsea to change the shape of the back four, which I find a little bit odd, given that that's not really been the problem. They've, they've been keeping clean sheets for fun. Amongst them, here's Josh who says, is it time for Tuchel to switch to a back four, especially with Silver not far from fitness? This isn't the area of the pitch that's, that's a concern at the moment, is it? No, not in the slightest. I mean, you could argue that there's a there's an issue in terms of balance. You know, are they are they are they overly concentrating on the defence? But as Liam very eloquently said, it's about setting a foundation down. It's about having something to build on, and that was his his first job. And we've we've we spent six to eight weeks saying how open Chelsea were, and the the board reacted as a result of of the way that results had, had deteriorated because Chelsea were so open. So it seems a bit churlish now to turn around and say, actually, we need them to be more open than they are at the moment. It's, give him a give him a chance. He's only been there for five minutes. Yeah. Uh, before we move on from Manchester United, uh, several burner accounts with an IP address that can be traced back to an L2 mean <laughs> Ealing have asked for a status report on Kai Havertz. Not involved Six. yesterday. Why not? Um, is it because he's been pretty rubbish since he arrived, Liam, or am I being a bit too brutal? <laughs> oh, here we wow. go. Wow. <laughs> Two-footed <My> challenge. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I think he, he had a badly timed injury absence, didn't he? Um, which you going to say of... transfer then. <laughs> <laughs> well, remains to be seen. But um, he, he certainly had a badly timed injury absence just as Tuchel was trying to put things in place for the for the team he's building, and that's hurt him. I mean, Tuchel said a lot of positive things about him. You don't really know what to do with that because Tuchel seems to be saying glowing things about all the players he's not playing right now. So it's very, very difficult to read where he where he stands. But he has been incredibly complimentary of Havertz. And we know the fact that Chelsea paid so much for him, the fact that Roman Abramovich was heavily involved in the, you know, the process of getting him and, and in Chelsea's interest in him means that, you know, that there are a lot of incentives to give him a chance at some point to prove that he can be a central part of this team. And I think in the system Chelsea are playing, there's no reason why he can't play any one of those attacking roles in the three. And I, I want to see him, I want to get a look at him at least as a false nine, I don't think we really got a proper look at it against Liverpool early in the season because of the red card and everything that happened in that game. And Tuchel has spoken quite openly about his ability to play as a false nine in the last couple of days. So it is something I expect him to to turn to, particularly in light of the fact that Tuchel clearly doesn't think Tammy Abraham has much to offer right now. And I think aside from the goal he scored against Atletico and the 
the chance he almost scored against United. Olivier Giroud hasn't really offered a ton either from open play. Um, certainly not a lot of the the little things that he usually does to help a team. So that I don't think Chelsea have an awful lot to lose by trialling Havertz as a false nine. And, and I, I expect to see it in the next few games at some point. What an asset he would be as an option, as a nine. I mean, uh, just to, I mean, I, I, know I was flippantly laughing before, but he's clearly a player of huge, huge talent. And if he, if he could establish himself as a nine, it would get Chelsea out of a major hole, not least because it would knock down one of Simon's big transfer stories for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they'd still rather Haaland up front. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> I, think, I think most most people connected to Chelsea would want to see Haaland at Chelsea, but um, yeah. Yeah. I think um, you may need to... Uh, I'm basically just trolling this account, aren't I? That's all I do. (laughs) Is that the modern expression? (laughs) Lobby a few coins in wishing wells, Chelsea fans, as far as Haaland's concerned. Might might take a lot of coins, actually. Yeah, you would have thought so. Well, there's plenty of games coming up for Kai Havertz to be involved with. We'll see if he's uh, in any of the ones which are coming up in the next week or so. We'll preview those later as we turn our attention back to domestic matters. Next, though, bicycle kicks in Bucharest. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So after our last show, Chelsea flew to Romania for the inverted commas away leg of their Champions League last 16 tie against Atletico Madrid. As you'll know full well by now, listening, it went pretty well. Olivier Giroud's spectacular goal, giving the Blues a thoroughly deserved 1-0 victory ahead of the return leg on the 17th of March. Um, Don, where, where did this rank in terms of Chelsea's best away performances in, in recent times? Better than Sevilla? Better than Ajax last season? Well, yeah, given where Atletico are in La Liga, it's it's right up there. I mean, it's warped slightly by the fact that they were playing in Bucharest as opposed to at the, the Wanda Metropolitano, or whatever it's called now. Um, and I think that, that, that was an advantage that Chelsea exploited really, really well. I'll be interested to, to, to see what happens in the second leg in as much as the venue thing. I know that UEFA are making decisions this week on a lot of the, the ties. And uh, I mean, Liverpool, for example, don't expect to be playing their second leg at Anfield. Um, I do wonder whether that means that Chelsea dispatched somewhere else in Europe and which might, I suppose, make the second leg more even and therefore the, the, the advantage of a 1-0 away win slightly less significant. But where we're at the moment, that is a tremendous result. That is a, a result that none of us saw, you know, go back four or five months, none of us envisaged that 
I mean, that looked like the, the worst possible tie that Chelsea could have got. For them to go away and A, keep a clean sheet and nick an away goal and a fantastic away goal at that. Sensational result. And also, Simon, a tactical triumph for Tuchel, which is not an easy sentence to say. Um, <laughs> but is it is it kind of vindication almost in this one performance alone of making the managerial change? It sounds harsh to say, but you just... I couldn't quite have envisaged Lampard being able to outfox Diego Simeone in the way that Thomas Tuchel did. Possibly, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure the Chelsea board might be sitting there thinking the decision's been vindicated so far because that there does seem to have been Chelsea do seem to be more organised, more tactically aware. Tuchel seems to be someone that is very happy to to change formation, uh, change system, change tactics, change players, and yeah, I mean look. I don't think we should sort of forget that Lampard did did very well to get Chelsea top of the group in the first place. They looked quite good in those group games and severe, being severe at the time was pretty notable. But yeah, I mean, Atletico Madrid are a total different proposition. And I, I've read a lot of stuff and there was a lot of talk afterwards about how bad Atletico Madrid were. And I just thought that this was um, people forgetting perhaps... 2014 and the semi-final where Atletico played exactly the same way it was all about for them they'd be quite happy if that had finished nil-nil and mm. it only took a, a, a sort of moment of magic genius from Giroud to prevent them from getting that because I think Atletico the classic side that will go away from home quite comfortable with the nil-nil scoreline look for those away goals just as they did in the second leg in 2014, where where they won 3-1 at Stamford Bridge. So I, 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 I take exception to people sort of trying to negate the significance of that result and the quality of that result. It was a tr- tremendous one. And it's not over for the very reason I just discussed. I think even Atletico will be quite comfortable still trailing 1-0 because they'll think, well, we can soon get an away goal against this Chelsea defence, even though it's a defence that doesn't concede to anyone at the moment. Liam, the bookies have got Chelsea as, as fifth favourites to win the Champions League behind City, Bayern, PSG and Liverpool. Do, do you think that's about right? And, and what is there to stop them from, from going all the way in the competition? Yeah, I think you would have them below the, the elite tier of contenders. Um, City and, and Bayern, obviously, uh, look to be the cream of European football for me right now um, in slightly different ways. And that would probably be the most fitting final for this year's competition. But Chelsea, particularly with the defence that that Simon just alluded to, um, have a real chance. We saw in 2012 that if you can defend doggedly and get a little bit of luck when it gets to the knockout stage, things can break your way because a lot of these ties are decided by small moments. In the case of that first leg against Atletico, it was you know a marginal VAR check ruling that Hermoso had touched the ball rather than a Chelsea player and and therefore Giroud's moment of magic made the difference in a game that would otherwise have ended nil-nil and been perfectly within Simeone's um, plan. So these things can change at the drop of a hat and I think Chelsea, they certainly have the talent to be a team that, that no one wants to play at this stage of the competition. And I think in Tuchel, they've got a coach who has a proven track record recently of being able to put his team in position to do well in ties like this. And I thought even in the Champions League final against Bayern, given that Bayern 
I think were clearly the best team in Europe at that point. PSG's game plan gave them the best possible chance of winning and that reflected very uh, very well on Tuchel. So they've got a real chance and if they can get past Atletico, I'm sure they will believe it too. As mentioned, that second leg against Atletico Madrid takes place on Wednesday, the 17th of March, 8 o'clock UK time is the kickoff for that one. Now then, we've mentioned the name Anthony Barry a fair bit on the pod this season. The coach brought into the first team staff by Frank Lampard last summer, having previously worked at Wigan. He's taken a new role in the Republic of Ireland coaching setup. He'll continue his work with the Blues alongside this new job. Uh, what do you think to this, Simon? Steve Holland, the, the obvious example here, I guess, he initially went to help out Gareth Southgate and, and was quickly moved into that role full time. Will, will Chelsea be concerned that something similar could happen here? Well, I think that they've already also had a warning in terms of uh, he, he was being targeted for a job elsewhere, which Tuchel had to sort of intervene and, and sort of talk him round to sort of saying that he's part of his backroom staff. I think from, from what I'm hearing, Anthony Barry certainly is an ambitious guy. But for the short term, as long as Chelsea can keep him, I think it's only a positive that he's also getting this experience of international football uh, with the Republic of Ireland. Um, it's not going to affect his club job too dramatically. He's obviously going to be away for the international break. But I think it's quite refreshing that, that Chelsea seem to have this coach as part of Tuchel's staff that does seem to have still quite a say despite you know a new manager coming in. He certainly seems to be a lot more involved than, than say, Joe Edwards, um, who's obviously stuck around. But we're not seeing him quite as front and centre as, as Barry or hearing from him as much as we are hearing from Barry on a on a match-by-match match basis. OK, next up today, join us on a metaphorical trip to Merseyside. So, before we next meet, Chelsea will have played both Liverpool and Everton in the Premier League. The game at Anfield, up first in the traditional 8.15 on a Thursday slot. Uh, please God, slash Richard Masters, let's do away with these nonsense kickoff times if and when we get back to normal. Uh, where was I? Liverpool away. Uh, Liam, this is a really good time to be going to Anfield. I know they, they won at Sheffield United on Sunday, but four defeats in a row at home in the league. No wins in six, only two goals scored in that time. What on earth has happened? Yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? Um, I saw in the Sheffield United game that Klopp fielded his 14th different centre-back pairing of the season, which I think you have to come back to as the, the heart of Liverpool's problems, even when you're talking about the attack, because everything is linked. And the trade-offs that Liverpool have had to make in terms of moving Fabinho to centre-back, then moving Jordan Henderson to centre-back until he got injured depleting their own midfield and therefore the supply lines to that front three uh, has has affected them everywhere. And I think it's it's thrown off the the kind of magical balance that they had for most of last season. And, uh, and at the same time, I think Salah has continued to score regularly, but Mane has, has blown a little more hot and cold than maybe he did last year. And Roberto Firmino has, has kind of... Uh, gone missing really in in for sort of large swathes of of this season or at least it's appeared that way from the outside you know i just think generally they're they're a team that are kind of scrambling to refine the identity that that served them so well over the last 3 years really but particularly over the last 2 so it is a good time for chelsea to be playing them <laughs> liverpool will probably feel like it chelsea aren't the worst opponents for them either because 
Chelsea will want to have the ball. Uh, they'll want to play high up the pitch, which maybe suits Mane and Salah more than a lot of teams that Liverpool play. And Chelsea don't score many goals. So Liverpool's defensive issues might not be as as tricky. So there are lots of different ways of looking at this. It will be a really, really difficult game for Chelsea. It was always going to be. But there's maybe a little bit more of a chink of light in terms of getting a result out of this game than, than there would have been. Thomas Tuchel comes up against the man he replaced at Dortmund. He's got a woeful record against Jurgen Klopp. He's only won two of 14 meetings, although one of those victories came in the most recent game. Uh, that was Champions League group stage, 18-19 PSG beat Liverpool. Dom, that, that doesn't really matter, does it? There's no significance to that that kind of thing. This is a different game in isolation. Yeah, I think it matters even less, uh, given that Tuchel's at a new club, still adjusting to to that club, and and that Liverpool are experiencing uh, their first slump under Jurgen Klopp, um, really since he he turned up at the club in when was it 2015? I mean, it's it's it is an intriguing tie, and 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 it's actually it's always gone up a notch just because Liverpool know that if they win this match, that they're back in the top four. And I think that that heaps a bit more pressure on it. But I mean, I watched that game against Sheffield United yesterday, and and yeah, Liverpool looked slightly more at it in an offensive um, way. Um, that that their their forward line clicked, and I thought the I thought Curtis Jones was superb in in midfield, the energy that he provided. But that 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 defense still conceded chances. There's still a hesitancy there at centre half. I don't think either of the fullbacks. You know, much vaunted fullbacks, people that Robertson and, and Alexander Arnold uh, are players that are coveted around the world, and yet they've not had great seasons, particularly Alexander Arnold. I, I do think there's a that Chelsea will look at that and think there's a fragility there that we can exploit. I think it's time to play the A team track again <laughs> because I raised the point ahead of Southampton that Chelsea would come to the Southampton's rescue. Okay, they only got a point. But Chelsea, once again, you know, snaps the, the streak. And I think on Thursday night, I think, you know, put all your money on a Liverpool home win. <laughs> just, just just purely for this reason. Chelsea, Chelsea are, the, are the, the band-aid for all these clubs in trouble. But no, in all seriousness, I, I just thought... Come for Dom's prediction, stay for Simon's fatalism. That's, that's <laughs> the picture of this podcast. But I just wanted to highlight, actually... <laughs> In all seriousness, stop laughing at the back. Uh, that I think we should also just give another sort of shout out to Chelsea's unbeaten home record. Like Liverpool's unbeaten home record was phenomenal. You know they got to I think what was it sixty eight games, but it was still still fell short, almost like a whole season short of home games in the Premier League of Chelsea's record. I think which is stands at eighty six. I mean, it is a really, really difficult record to break that one. And and when a team as sort of fantastic as Liverpool got, you know, so close but so far, um, I think it, it's just another reminder of how remarkable that, that run was. I think between 2004, 2008, off the top of my head. Yeah, well, uh, Chelsea actually haven't won at Anfield since 2014. Now, on Tuesday night, Liam and Simon will be hosting a Chelsea quiz for Athletic subscribers in that spirit... Who of the three of you can tell me who scored the goals for the Blues when they won at Anfield back in 2014? Costa got one. Yeah. Um, the other one. What was the question? Who scored 
the other goal for Chelsea. 2-1, wasn't it? It was 2-1. Emre Chan put Liverpool ahead early on. Chelsea came from behind to win it. Fabregas? Willian? No, no. Uh, Here's a clue. Same. Wasn't a penalty. Surname begins with the same letter as Costa. Caballero. No. Um, (laughs) This isn't going on the podcast. Little bit further up the pitch, Liam. Just a little bit further up the pitch. Cahill. Yeah. Hold your head in shame, Simon Johnson. Oh, man. All all I can think of is is Eden Hazard in the League Cup when I think of Anfield. Yeah. Yeah, that was Chelsea's last win there, wasn't it? 2018. Can you not remember at least the 2014 Anfield mix zone, Simon? You must have had a good chat with, with Cahill after that. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. It was, a, it was <laughs> Poor Simon's... Gary's still plodding around Anfield now. Like, Where's Simon? I want to talk to him about my goal. <laughs> but I do I do remember the uh, the post-League uh, Cup one where, where I did stop Eden Hazard uh, to talk about that moment of magic. One of the best goals I've ever seen live. Hazard. Signature moment in it. We may just brilliant run by Hazard. Oh, that is absolutely phenomenal. And and just it's that kind of magic that that Chelsea are, are still sorely missing. You know, you, you sort of think a player like Hazard against Man United could have turned that nil nil into one nil. So it's uh, it was always an impossible task to sort of replace him. But yeah, my word, do they wish that they had a fit Eden Hazard in that eleven? Certainly do. Uh, right, after Liverpool on Thursday, it's Everton at Stamford Bridge on Monday night. The scheduling of that game means we'll be with you a day later next week so that we can reflect upon it. Um, Dom, is, is Everton at home a tougher match than Liverpool away at the moment? Oh, I, I wouldn't necessarily go that that far just because of Liverpool will see that as an opportunity, to, as I say, to get back into the top four. However, however Everton's away record is quite spectacular at the moment it's at home that they're letting themselves down and the inconsistencies are creeping in so in that respect yeah it's it's daunting although I do remember sitting here almost exactly a year ago and saying that Everton are going to give Chelsea a really really tough game this weekend and and the the last match as it turned out with with supporters at the bridge and they um they were spanked 4-0 weren't they it was an absolute masterclass at the time so I think there is a there is a bit of an unpredictability to Everton again but much will depend, I suspect, with them on how they do midweek this week and in and in sort of what their, their general mood is when they when they rock up in, in West London. Uh, Simon, we we mentioned Tammy Abraham briefly earlier in terms of his Chelsea career. I was just looking at this game and thinking Dominic Calvert Lewin's miles ahead of him in terms of the England reckoning now, isn't he? Yeah, for sure. I mean Calvert Lewin's had a few injury problems of late, but he's still uh, cemented his spot in the squad, I'd say. I think Tammy Abraham has, unfortunately, has slid sort of pretty far down the pecking order, I'd say. Even sort of, you'd have to put Danny Ings ahead of him, Harry Kane, obviously. So he's going to have to have a really strong end to the season. And that's probably one of the things he's worried about, uh, not just his Chelsea place, but his his chances of, of um, being in that England squad. Because we have an England squad being announced later this month for the World Cup qualifiers, which will be giving a bit of an indication, but um, I'd be quite surprised if, if Tammy's name's in it, unfortunately. In terms of this pair of games, Liam, after them, things look a little bit more straightforward. Leeds, West Brom, Palace and Brighton to come. It means that this Merseyside doubleheader is going to be crucial, isn't it, in terms of a top four finish? Yeah, huge, huge. And they're, they're going to tell us different things about 
where this team is under Tuchel um, because we've already seen them play a succession of teams, inferior teams talent-wise that sat deep against them and were kind of happy to hit them on the counter-attack. You could say Everton um, could adopt that approach again. It certainly worked well for them against Lampard's Chelsea at Goodison in December. But these two teams have a lot more firepower to really test this this Chelsea defence and and really put them under pressure. So it's funny, I think these, these, these two games kind of fell together, didn't they, last season, just before the, the shutdown. I know one was a cup game and provided the, the kind of Billy Gilmore emergence that, that seemed to be breathing uh, fresh life into Chelsea's season just as it was stopped. So if they can get a couple of results and a couple of performances as convincing as those, I think you can see the potential for this to, to give the whole squad really a big boost going into what will be the final stretch of this of this top four race. Uh, because the quiz question I posed in the Liverpool section was such a success, I'm going to lob another one in now. <laughs> Can anybody remember the last time Chelsea lost at home to Everton in the Premier League and who scored? Was it uh, Tim Cahill? It was not Tim Cahill. Uh, he scored in like a 4-4, didn't he? Yeah, maybe 3-3 yeah. cup game. Anyway, this is Premier League game. Uh, are we talking way back to in Everton, ninety-two, ninety-three type thing? Are we, are we going Ooh, way a little back? bit for one season further on than that, Dom? So is it a Paul Rideout or someone like it that? It was Paul Rideout, oh. absolutely. <laughs> one nil, win Rideout, nineteen ninety-four. Oh, they got him three Rideouts, and he scored. He was virtually unmarked, and Paul Rideout scores for Everton. A goal made by Anders Limpart. Dom, I assume you're not eligible for the Chelsea quiz, by the way. But... Liam, Liam, uh, Paul Rideout was a striker that played up front <laughs> in that era before you were born. I covered him in my ancient history degree, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, that Everton game, six o'clock kickoff on Monday. Tune in next week to hear at Reaction. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18s enjoyed a 2-1 win away to Norwich this past weekend. Fabulous 40-yard chip from Joe Haig and a 17th goal of the season for Jude Sunset Bell secured the win in the under-18 Premier League South. And more good news for the under-18s too in that the FA Youth Cup will resume this month following a pandemic-related pause. Blues awaiting the winner of the third round tie between Fylde and Cambridge in round four. That fourth round game has to be played by the 20th of April. The under-23s in action tonight as we record. They play Leicester in a game that was moved from last Friday. Their game against Brighton, which was due to be played on Monday the 8th of March, has been moved back to Sunday to avoid clashing with the first team. You can watch both of those games live with me on Chelsea's social channels. And it's a big week ahead for the women's team. They play the first leg of their Champions League last 16 tie against Atletico Madrid at Kings Meadow. 7 o'clock on Wednesday, the kickoff time for that one. Uh, that's just about it for this week's show. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, we've plugged the quiz, which is happening on Tuesday. Simon and Liam hosting. Head to The Athletic for all the details. It's in aid of Prostate Cancer UK. Uh, Simon, what are you going to be working on this week other than quiz? Well, by the time this comes out, there should be a piece 
or certainly soon after this pod comes out rather, there will be a piece about Ben Chilwell and his situation. I've actually been meaning to write it for a while, but other events keep overtaking it, like Callum Hudson-Odoi being subbed as, as a substitute. Um, it's a classic example of going into a game with a with a plan A and it being relegated because obviously football's unpredictable. Um, and I've also got a, a lengthy interview with, with another Chelsea legendary backup goalkeeper in uh, Ross Turnbull. I remember him, everyone. But where I've gone a bit different, rather than just talking to Ross about his memories of Chelsea and, you know, the certain players, etc. I've kind of done more of a piece where he's talking about the comparisons of where he works now. He's a goalkeeping coach for Hartlepool United and the kind of facilities and kind of hurdles he has to overcome at Hartlepool compared to obviously his his experience with the glamour and the glitz and the the rich resources of Cobham. <laughs> um, clearly, there's a bit of a difference in in what he's used to, including um, having to pump up the footballs, <laughs> uh, which uh, which you know you can imagine at Chelsea, it's not something uh, Thomas Tuchel has to worry about is pumping up the footballs. But uh, Ross is that's just one of his one of his many tasks as the goalkeeping coach there. Good stuff. How about you, Don? What's on uh, your agenda this week? I'm I'm writing up a, an interview that I conducted with an Australian international called Craig Foster. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks back. It's 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 been one of the more demanding interviews to to write about, largely because of the the topics that it, it covers, uh, the immigration crisis and offshore detention centres in Australia at the moment. Um, and the case of Hakim Al Arabi, um, a refugee that was being held in a Thai prison um, with Bahrain demanding deportation, um, he was deported to them, extradited to them, and Craig stepped in. He is—he was a bit of a journeyman midfielder at Pompey and Palace back in the day, but but uh, uh, he's become this human rights crusader, really, uh, and thoroughly admirable bloke, and one of the most interesting people I've ever interviewed. And that's the kind of stuff that you only really get on the Athletic listener. Um, Liam, how about you? Lots of lots of pretty pictures in your Kante and Kovacic piece, and some real substance to it too. What else are you going to be working on? What the hell is a serious journalist like Dom doing slamming it with us? <laughs> I, I, oh, I, I didn't want to say it, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, so that Kante Kovacic piece is is live with lots of screen grabs to hopefully occupy your eyes, as well as my words. Um, and later this week, I'll be writing about Kai Havertz. Uh, no. no what? Seriously, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Hold on. What? <laughs> I'm sure you'll all be astonished to know. Um, given that it, it's one of the big kind of unanswered questions or yet to be answered questions of, under Tuchel, I'm going to be looking at where exactly he could fit in in this system that, that, that Tuchel's currently playing and kind of his potential as a false nine, maybe taking a little bit of a look at the games he played in that role for for Leverkusen as well. And I'll also be writing about whatever comes out of the Liverpool game. Good stuff. If you're not currently a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up. And if you are a subscriber and you're taking part in the quiz with Liam and Simon on Tuesday night, I'd probably do some prep on Kai Havertz. I, I would imagine <laughs> that there might be a Kai Havertz round. It's a whole section. <laughs> 
Uh, that'll be good fun. Do join Liam and Simon if you can. Many thanks for your company this week, listener. Join us a day later than usual next week. Until then, from myself, Dom, Liam, Simon and producer Lucy, it's bye for now. The Athletic.